This is the 2D10 Podcast. You better listen. So if you wouldn't mind, can you introduce yourself to people that are listening that might not know who you are and kind of um, what you do in the gaming world, who you are there, I suppose. Yes, I can do that. Um, I'm Chaz Kellner. I am, uh, I guess, a podcaster and RPG freelancer. Um, So I've written for uh, Exalted and for a couple of the Chronicles of Darkness lines. Um, I am a host emeritus of the Story Told podcast. Um, and host of our actual play, The Fall of Giara, uh, which is an exalted actual play, and one of the co-hosts of The Systematic Understanding of Everything, an exalted podcast, uh, where uh, Terry Robinson and Monica Specka and I uh, are taking a deep dive of everything exalted. That's awesome. So exalted is actually a game I'm not super familiar with. It's one of the like kind of um, like White Wolf original games or whatever, where I just never really got any opportunity to dig into. Um, and Scion is a game that I've been, I, I am a uh, self-avowed noob. I don't really know anything about it except for what I've discovered this year. So, um, and I've been playing, you know, the old school White Wolf games and World of Darkness games since the late nineties, but that was just one game I never got the opportunity to get into. And now I'm learning about it for the first time. And that's a game that you're actually contributing to, correct? Uh, to Exalted or to Scion? Uh, to Scion. Uh, so I, I've done some fan publishing for Scion. Uh, I, I'm not writing for Scion officially yet. Um, I, I've certainly put put that ask out there in the universe. <laughs> uh, so so hopefully I'll be, be a, an official contributor to that in, uh, down the line. Um but I'm, I'm also a big Scion fan. Uh, Scion and Exalted kind of uh, run parallel in, in my head yeah. a little bit. They, they, uh, Scion originally kind of evolved some of the systems they developed in first edition Exalted. So it's got a little bit of the same DNA of playing almost over-the-top heroes in a, in a world filled mostly with mortal characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the pitch for Scion is you are playing the children and chosen champions of the ancient gods in the modern world, uh, where all myths are true, um, and part of that is that you get awesome divine power. Uh, Exalted, on the other hand, is a an epic, a non-Western epic fantasy where you play the chosen champions of the gods uh, in a world uh, where. Oh boy, how do I want to say that? Um, <laughs> the elevator pitch is always so hard uh, because there's so much too exalted. Uh, but in a in an epic fantasy world beset by supernatural threats, where only you can can protect the world and and protect what matters to you. Um, and and in exalted, uh, they introduce some of the mechanics that later evolved further in Scion. Um, I think one of the really awesome mechanics uh, that that existed and exa- exists in Exalted today, uh, and also existed in the first edition of Scion, but changed somewhat in second, is the idea of stunts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really simple concept where, if you describe your character in an awesome way, you get extra dice. That's, uh, and that, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, and it, it carries into Exalted today, um, and Scion has kind of shifted a little bit where stunts in Scion today say, if you get ex- extra successes, you can use those to do something awesome for your character. Um, 
but both ways of approaching it really like reward the player for coming up with awesome ideas for their character uh, and just being a little bit more descriptive. Uh, and so that's one of the really fun things in Exalted. And it, it's it's honestly one of those things that I've tried to bring into every role-playing experience. If a, if a player does describe something in a really awesome way and I'm running the game, I'm, I'm going to give them a bonus for that. Yeah, that's that's actually something um, I think is, it's almost like an instinctual thing I've done as a storyteller. You know, when the, when the player is like super creative or the player is super descriptive of what they want to do. Um, it's been something that I've just been like, well, you know what, take a couple extra dice, you know, um, because that sounds really fun to me. Um, I didn't actually know that it was, um, a rule from there because, um, again, I, I, I'm kind of like a noob, um, when it comes to all those, I don't know how you would describe them, but, um, you know, of course for, for people that are familiar with like white wolf and what they were when they were a company back in the day and the world of darkness. These are games that aren't, they don't take place in that world of darkness continuity. Um, as far as I know. And so people may have like me may have missed them at the time when they, you know, were, were, were coming out. And, you know, now they, I think now they kind of like, they really stand alone because white wolf isn't, uh, they're not a producer anymore, so it's not really competing. Um, a lot of these are now under the umbrella of Onyx Path. How would you describe um, like these games in relation to that World of Darkness setting? Like, do they have any overlap, or are they just totally separate? So Scion has no overlap. Uh, when Scion was made, it was conceived of as a, a kind of a closed product. They were going to release one book uh, back towards the end of, of White Wolf's independent run. That one book turned into five books at the time because it was so popular. Um, and then when Onyx Path was formed, they were able to purchase the rights for Scion outright. Uh, mm-hmm. So Scion is now one of the flagship games for Onyx Path's story path system which takes a, a step fur- further away from the, the storyteller roots of Scion um, in some ways that aren't necessarily obvious at first, uh, but you can, can really start to see once you sit down and, and run or play the game. Exalted actually has kind of an interesting relationship to the world of darkness because when Exalted first edition came out, one of their taglines was uh, the secret mythic history of the world of darkness. And First edition Exalted presents itself as uh, the first age, but even before the mythic age of classic World of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has changed over the editions. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Exalted Second Edition came out, they kind of took a step away from that. And with Exalted Third Edition, the, the devs are not at all connected to World of Darkness. So it stepped further away from it. But there's certain things where uh, you'll be you'll be looking at exalted and uh, a name will come up or a metaphysical concept will come up and if you, if you squint right you're like <laughs> oh hey that that has some world of darkness connotations um, so for example the the underworld in exalted is very similar to uh, the underworld of wraith you have the city of stygia you have the, the neverborn dwelling below the underworld you have uh, soul steel uh, forged from the souls of of the dead these are all things that that mm-hmm. overlap between Exalted and, and Wraith because Exalted's underworld evolves into the uh, 
uh, Shadowlands of Wraith in that one conception of the world of darkness, uh, secret history. Um, but like I said, they've kind of stepped away from that in uh, as the game line has progressed. Yeah, there, there's uh, some other stuff too. You know, if you go back far enough um, to the origins, you know, like with Ars Magica and stuff like that, where you know this, oh, this is you know definitely part of the world of darkness, and they were like, no, nah, not really, and then you know ended up selling it. Um, out of curiosity, um, I have only been able to play Trinity once. Um, and it was many, many years ago. Um, are you into that game as well? And if so, um, you know, what, what, uh, you know, what, what, what does that game bring to the table? So Trinity is the other flagship story path game from Onyx path. And it is a kind of a weird science fiction, um, setting yeah. where it, it's all science fiction, but across different times, whereas uh, Scion is very much legends. Uh, Trinity has kind of just a weird science background to it. And it's called the Trinity Continuum now uh, with the idea that you have these multiple timelines kind of with some quantum entanglement. And there's there's three main lines for it. There's uh, uh, Trinity Aeon, uh, which is kind of the the future. It's like 200 years in the future. You play psychically empowered, uh, I guess, heroes. Um, you don't have to be heroes, psychically empowered people uh, who are uh, building a better future for humanity. There's the uh, kind of the day after tomorrow setting of Aberrant, which is a, a science superhero setting uh, where you play Aberrants, uh, these... Uh, empower, again, empowered, but in a different yeah. way, quantum champions uh, who are dealing with fame and celebrity and power. And actually on Kickstarter now is a Trinity Continuum Adventure with an exclamation mark, um, which is kind of a, a pulp heroes game. Um, and if you're familiar with the original Trinity, the, the adventure book was just a single book back then, but now it's one of the core pieces of the Trinity Continuum. And that original setting was in the 1920s. And uh, they've, they've kind of updated that to say, and here's 10 years later in the 30s, yeah. um, which, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and, and it's good to have somebody who understands this stuff on the podcast, because, you know, for me, I, I, I've, I've always considered myself like a bit of an expert as far as like Vampire the Masquerade is concerned, super focused on one area. And a big part of my goal um, with podcasting and, and, you know, YouTube creation and all that stuff is to really get out of my comfort zone and learn about all of these other games that, you know, I've seen for years and been like, oh, that would be interesting to play, but just never had the opportunity. And so, yeah, it's, it's, I appreciate you coming on and helping me to make sense of the stuff because I figure if I have difficulty keeping it all straight, um, probably most of the people listening do as well. Um, so let's talk about how you got into all this stuff. How did you get into tabletop role playing? Um, it, there, there's always a story that goes along with it. I feel sure. So uh, I, I was, I think, ten years old, and uh, at uh, at the uh, warehouse of my father's workplace, and the warehouse guys were talking about their games and and they were talking about the D6 Star Wars game that they they <laughs> uh, were playing. So my my very first role play look into role playing game was hearing about these other guys 
D6 Star Wars from West End Games. Uh, and then they let me borrow the, the core book. Um, and I, I read through it and devoured it and then started making characters and, and like I was hooked. Uh, and so uh, like a, a, just a few months later, I think I, I discovered D&D and that was back in the uh, AD&D second edition era. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I got a bunch of those books too and, and read them and built dungeons and created characters. And I didn't have anyone to play with. Uh, so my initial experience of RPGs was like reading the material and then world building. Um, yeah. And so that's still a big part of what I, I love to do is, is I, I guess I'm an RPG consumer in that I read a lot of RPG books. And then uh, I, I also like the world building side of it. I like coming up with the story and the setting and, and all of that. Um, and I, I do find myself most often in the, the game master's chair uh, or storyteller's chair. Um, and I guess from, from there, like I said, I was, I was hooked. Um, I, but I, I didn't get to play any games until, uh, much later until I was like a late teen. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when I, I met other people in high school who did, who did play. Um, and that's uh, around when I discovered the world of darkness as well. Um, and, and got involved in a, a couple of vampire LARPs, uh, big fan of, of changeling the dreaming at the time. Um, and that was right around when Exalted first released as well. And so I, I was one of those uh, hanging out in the game store uh, teens. <laughs> um, and the, the book came in and I was like flipping through it and I saw, uh, oh, Limit Break. And I was a, a big fan of like Final Fantasy JRPGs mm-hmm. and was like, oh, Limit Break sound cool. An RPG with Limit Breaks, that sounds neat. Um, and that is not what Limit Break is in Exalted. Um, <laughs> But but by the time like I had consumed the book, I, I was hooked. Um, one of the cool things about Exalted, and this is what Limit Break is, is that you're you are heroes with pathos. Uh, so all Exalted suffer from a great curse, and and part of the backstory of Exalted is that the gods empowered them to kill the creators of the world, and the creators of the world uh, laid a death curse on the Exalted um, that drives them to extremes. Uh, and so that's what limit break is and exalted. Um, so so I, have, I have a question for you um, concerning a lot of, of these games, because, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a noob, I'm a novice. I don't really know where to start. And um, I do occasionally happen upon an exalted book or a scion book, um, you know, my local half price books or whatever, where, where does someone new like me, where should I get started? Um, you know, is it essential to, kind of no uh, great degree of information or, you know, can I just kind of like pick up a core book and go? I think you can just pick up the core book and go um, with Scion. The core material is split across two books for second edition. Uh, there's Scion origin and Scion hero and Scion origin kind of is the core rule book. And it, it presents the idea of, of mortal characters touched by the divine mm-hmm. uh, who have some connection to the gods um, but aren't fully absorbed into that world yet. And then in Scion Hero, you you play uh, those same mortal characters, only now not only are they slightly touched by the divine, but the divine Ikar in their blood has, has uh, uh, ignited and, and they can draw on divine power and, and deal with mythic uh, monsters and, and all that kind of stuff. So for Scion, you really just need those two books. Um, Exalted 
is a little bit more complicated and mm. and that's that's part of why I have a whole podcast explaining it. Um, <laughs> we our, our tagline is breaking down exalted from its rules to its setting. Um, but what, with exalted, the probably the best starting place if you just want to say, hey, what is this all about? Mm. is the jumpstart um, tomb of dreams. Uh, it's available on drive through RPG. And, and that gives kind of the, the light version of the rules. Uh, and it's actually a super handy reference document, even if you have the core rule book, um, because it's the concise version of the rules in a, a nice little booklet instead of the 600 page beast of a book that is the exalted core. Um, but then the exalted core book covers one of the hero types in exalted. Um, one of the things about exalted is that there are multiple types of exalted. You mm-hmm. all play divinely empowered heroes, right. but what kind of heroes matter? Uh, the core experience is the solar exalted. They're the champions of the unconquered sun. Um, and they are, are uh, like leaders and they excel at, at their skills. Um, they are in theory, the best. Uh, and I'm putting that in scare quotes, which of course you can't <laughs> see as an audience. Um but they they have uh, had disappeared from the world and are just now reappearing after thousands of years. Um, but they're not the only type of exalted, and that's where, depending on what experience of the game you want, you may want to get a, a second book uh, mm-hmm. to go with that. Um, and and in Exalted Third Edition, they've released two two books to follow up so far. Um, what Fire Has Wrought, uh, the Dragon Blooded. Uh, the dragon-blooded are kind of the hegemonic power of the exalted world, and they are elementally empowered champions. Um, so unlike most of the exalted, where there's only a couple hundred of them in the world because they're individually chosen, uh, the dragon-blooded, uh, their power is in their bloodline. And so you get families of uh, these elementally powered, essentially fantasy superheroes, um, and, and they rule the center of the world, and they hunt the other exalted Um and there's, there's a whole lot of setting stuff there with complex politics. If you're like, I want to play superhero Game of Thrones, uh, Dragon Blood it is for you. <laughs> cool. Um, so before I ask you, I definitely want to ask you about your contributions um, you know, to the different product lines. But before we do that, um, I want to reverse a little bit and ask you about your experience with LARP. Um, LARP is, you know, my origins pretty much start there and I'm always curious, you know, especially people who, you know, kind of got their start in the like early two thousands, basically what it sounds like to me, that's kind of when you got your start, what was your experience like? And, um, is it something that you miss or something that you're, you know, kind of you're over it now? Oh man, I, I miss LARP a lot. Um, but some of that is like the, the more of the friends that I made and mm-hmm. the LARP experience is cool. And, and even my core group now is uh, some of those players are the players that I met in the LARP right when I started LARPing. Um, and it was kind of interesting because I, I played when I first started, I played in two different LARPs um, and the people running the two LARPs hated mm-hmm. each, like hated each other, those groups of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I, I kind of managed to, uh, uh, be friendly with both of them and, and stay out of that drama. Um, but were they, were they like separated by geographic location? Barely. Um, <laughs> they, they, they were a, a town apart in Vermont. 
Um, and like Vermont does not have a lot of people and the gaming community in Vermont does not have a lot of people. And like all of them had gone to college to each other and hated mm-hmm. each other from that time. Um, and so it was almost like competing LARPs, but there was a handful of us who, who went to, to both of them. One of them was a Friday night, mm-hmm. one of them was a Saturday night. So it was perfect. Um, for, for those of us who could, who could uh, uh, be friendly with both groups, uh, but that rivalry was, was kind of funny. Um, but one of them uh, kind of had a lot of the, the, when people talk about problem LARPs, had a lot of those classic problems of power gamers and, mm-hmm. and people doing dumb stuff just because, and uh, storytellers who had a hard time keeping control of the, the plot and the players. Um, and like that, that LARP ended and I, I wasn't there for this, but apparently with the storytellers, like uh, giving a lecture to all of the players being like, you're bad and we're not running <laughs> LARP anymore because you're bad. <laughs> um, uh, but there was, there, there was some delightful politics in that game too. Uh, but in the, in the other game, like it ran four years, uh, I ended up being a, a assistant narrator uh, starting in like the second year. Um and like every year we had a barbecue at the end of the year. Like I'm still friends with a lot of those people. So uh, like I have a lot of nostalgia for that. Um, but so much of it is just the people that I was involved with over the LARP versus tabletop experience. Yeah. I think that that's really, um, for me, that was, you know, I, I, I grew up like literally kind of grew up in the LARP community and, you know, I, I like gaming. I've always liked gaming, but really I think it was the social aspect of meeting all of these people that had a similar, you know, mindset or a similar interest, you know, in gaming and, you know, horror and things like that. And it's funny that you mention sort of the rivalry of games, um, because where I grew up here in like the Midwest, Illinois, you know, Chicagoland area, um, for years, it was like, if you were from this town, you had a reputation coming in, or if you were from this town, like everybody had their little rivalries. And it's weird because all these people did game together, but like, depending on which game you went to, like you would get treated differently because you were like from this area. Yep. Um, that's a weird thing that apparently is inescapable with LARP. Um, I never knew that that really happened outside of where I grew up, but I, you know, i I have to think it's not, I'm not living in a unique area. Um, <laughs> Very clicky at, at yeah. times. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I definitely miss it too, just because, you know, now as an adult, I can appreciate it more. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely more interested in the gaming part of it. So um, yeah, uh, that's, that's really cool. Um, so what, you know, what drew the, like you, were you still doing it active before COVID or did it just kind of like, no. Um, so for me, I, I kind of stopped LARPing when I moved out of Vermont. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I was part of that the LARP group that went really well uh, all through college um, and then was, was planning, uh, planning to take over running a new LARP, uh, but then moved away uh, post-college looking, trying to get a job. Yeah. And I, I haven't, I haven't been involved in LARPing since I I've always been able to maintain a tabletop group. Um, but I, I haven't been anywhere where there's an active LARP community that I've been involved in. And, and now like with, with my adult life, it, it doesn't, doesn't have fit in the same uh, in the same time that it, it did when yeah. I was in college, when I could stay out until 
four in the morning or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not even an option anymore. It's like four o'clock in the morning. Are you insane? <laughs> no. So um, I'll probably uh, try to get into some LARP experiences when when we start having cons again, mm-hmm. um, because I, I do I enjoy the active kind of player driven narrative that LARP can offer in a, a way that's very different from a tabletop game. Um, and and so I know I was going to be going well last year was planning on going to Gen Con with some yeah. of those LARP friends that I had. And we probably would have looked at, at doing something like that, but then Gen Con didn't happen because yeah. there was a pandemic on. Um, so I, I, uh, I don't think I'd seek out a regular LARP just because it doesn't fit into my, my life anymore, but yeah. uh, at cons kind of as a one-off or a limited arc, I, I, I'd definitely jump back in. Yeah. I, I definitely can agree with you on the, the regular LARP thing. Um, I, I think I would be willing to do like a monthly game. Um, when I lived in Indianapolis, there was a game that I, I attended and they actually only played every two months and that was perfect. It was like, I can definitely plan two months out. Um, but a lot of games, especially, you know, your like troop style games, they want to play every week. And that's just not, (laughs) that's not even remotely conceivable, um, for me to do. But, uh, um, let's talk a little bit about first, um, how you got into like actually contributing to games and some of the stuff that you've contributed to. And then also, um, because you're a podcaster, you know, I have, I'm curious to kind of like pick your brain about that as well. So, um, how did you get into contributing to games and, um, you know, what is that like as a fan player moving into like a more professional freelance scenario? So, uh, the podcasting came first before the freelancing. I mean, I, I had uh, like, again, when I was back in college, 10, 15 years ago, sent, sent in submissions to white wolf at the time and and Mm -hmm. never heard anything back. Um, but then in my professional life, ended up doing uh, technical writing. So I built up the writing skills, have professional experience there, um, and then got into podcasting and uh, started to get to know some of the writers and developers yeah. uh, at Onyx Path and at other companies. Um, and just being in that environment again kind of re-sparked the, the desire to, to be a, a part of creating these games. Um, and so I, I brushed up a submission for Onyx Path and sent it in um, and then had one of the developers on my podcast. And, and after the interview, I was like, hey, by the way, I've sent in a submission. I'd love for you to take and consider me for future projects. Yeah. Um, and so that's how I ended up uh, with my first gig for uh, Onyx Path um, as part of the Exalted line. Um, so my first project was uh, Many Faced Strangers, uh, the companion book for the Lunar Exalted Kickstarter, which, which uh, was a couple of years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I that book is not out yet, uh, so I can't speak in, in detail about what I wrote for it. Um, but I got to write some of the um, backer chosen animals. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the, uh, so the lunar exalted are shapeshifters. One of their big things is that they can take animal shapes. Um, and so one of the stretch goals was pick an animal and we'll do a rules write up for you in the companion book. Uh, so I got to write up a bunch of those. 
And then I got to write up one of the new setting locations, Mount Nama, uh, which is kind of mentioned in the lunar book. And, and I got to fill out the details. That's uh, really so cool. kind of neat getting, getting to contribute to the setting of Exalted and, and bring my own ideas to the table there. So um, how did you get into podcasting? What, what <laughs> urged you to get into that? And this, I don't know, is it a hobby? Is it like, is it a job? Is it both? Like, yeah, podcasting's crazy. So I'm just curious how, how you got there. So I've been a podcast listener for a long time. Um, I started listening to podcasts before I had a device I could listen to them on. So like I loaded them onto my computer and like had my computer there while I was at home doing other stuff, playing a podcast. Um, like back in like 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, really kind of early in the podcasting uh, cycle. Uh, before it blew up to the point where it is everywhere now. Um, So I I think I was kind of primed to be interested in podcasting. And during stretches of time where I didn't have a regular group or didn't have any group at all for for gaming, uh, podcasting was kind of how I stayed involved in uh, in the hobby. Mm -hmm. And um, I I ended up working with someone who was a, a history podcaster uh, and so he talked a lot about his experience podcasting um, and and kind of between those things and that just being a fan of uh, of the games and not seeing a podcast out there that was kind of covering a broad set of games that I was interested in covering. I was like, you know, I'd kind of be interested in doing this since the podcast I want to listen to isn't out there. I'll make it. Yeah. Um, and I, I found, uh, ended up finding someone who was interested in co-hosting a podcast with me. And, and he's now still the, the primary host of, of the Story Told podcast, uh, Logan Rollins. Um, and we were like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Let's see how it goes. Um, so we, that, that's what we did. Uh, we started it and, and we were kind of a, a gaming variety show. Our original intention was to do like game reviews and deep dives and setting focus topics, right. um, character creation examples. Um, but very early on, uh, I reached out to the Onyx Path and was like, hey, I'm starting this podcast. We're going to be covering Exalted. Can we use the Exalted music suite for our music? And is there any attribution we have to do for it? And Rich Thomas was like, oh, yeah, of course you can use it. Here's what you need to do to attribute us. And if you ever want any writers or developers to come on, let us know, and we'll set up an interview for you guys. Um, And so uh, that kind of let us uh, connect to the industry. And after doing a a couple of like developer interviews with Onyx Path, where we had that initial connection, um, I guess we just got the guts to reach out to whoever. (laughs) Um, and so we, we would very freely reach out to other companies and, and, uh, other people running Kickstarters and, and, uh, bring them on for an interview. Uh, so that, that's kind of how the podcast ended up growing. Um, go ahead. And then when we set out, we were like, we're never going to be a weekly show. We're never going to do actual play. (laughs) Um, and uh, there was a long-running Exalted actual play that I had been listening to that was coming to an end, and I couldn't find another Exalted actual play that I liked at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple of them out there that that like just weren't well edited or uh, weren't serious about the game, and and so I was like, you know what? I run Exalted. I, I have an awesome group of players. I'm going to start recording and editing my game, and so that. <laughs> 
that turned ended up turning us into a weekly show where we were alternating the variety show episodes and our actual play content. Um, so we, we broke both of our rules at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I've been there a couple of times myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, as far as like the, the technical aspects of recording, editing, stuff like that. Um, is that something that you, um, you know, kind of take a hands-on approach to, or is it something that you already had experience with, or is it somebody else that kind of handles that stuff? I had no experience initially. Um, I, I had, like I said, I had a friend who did history podcasting yeah. or still does history podcasting. And so I got to ask him a lot of questions about equipment and recording and editing. Uh, but then it was a lot of just like jump in and figure it out. Uh, yeah. there's, there's definitely been a long learning curve on some of it. Um, and originally I thought that I wasn't going to like the, the audio editing part, but there's something very like relaxing about the creative <laughs> process of editing, yeah. um, because it's something you can't rush. Uh, it doesn't require a lot of creative input. You can kind of just like, it, it's almost mechanical. Um, mm -hmm. In that, like you listen to it, you recognize the audio levels being wrong. You fix that. You cut the ums. Uh, you can kind of slide things around if people are are overlapping when they're talking. Yeah. And so that editing part became a much bigger part of what I enjoyed out of podcasting than I expected it would. Um, and I I've learned from like uh, uh, YouTube tutorials of people with audacity. Uh, talking to other podcasters that I've met about, hey, how do you do this or how do you do that? Or I'm running into this weird problem. Have you ha have you seen this and how did you fix it? Um, and slowly over time, kind of building up my my skill set um, as an audio editor uh, to to the point now where I think I, I produce a pretty good show. Yeah the the whole editing aspect of um, podcasting is I can say when I first started doing audio editing. I was super, super like detail oriented. I like, I would go through every moment of audio and try to like make it sound as best as possible. And then after like five years of doing this, now I'm just like, okay, is there any static? Um, is there, is there any like obvious signs of cars driving by? Um, you know, my, my editing process for audio has definitely, uh, kind of decreased. I've, I've kind of dialed it back from being like, you know, ultra super vigilant about, you know, every little detail to now, you know, kind of just like listen to other, like really, um, I think good sounding podcasts and just try to take a minimal stance with that. But, um, for me that, that hyper vigilance has transferred to video. So now when I record video, you know, like I'm super, you know, aware of every little like breath and tick. And, you know, so, so it's like, it's evolved. Now I'm like doing the video and the audio and trying to be like, okay, how do I make this as best as possible? Um, cause it is kind of like this weird Zen where you just sort of get into it. And so can you recognize, I'm sure, can you recognize now the ums and the breaths in your, in oh, your yeah. waveform. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and like I can recognize uh, how those differ between my players and, and uh, uh, see visually when the audio balance is wrong and, 
and like look at a whole track and see what what is actually talking and what is just like background noise. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of it that I've I've learned over time. Um, I've kind of taken a, a a more laid back approach if I'm editing like a conversation, uh, but but for the actual play, I still do put in a lot of that, uh, like yeah. making sure that it's all really crisp. Um, I, I kind of focus more at the beginning of an episode or the beginning of a scene because I find once once you get drawn in, you're more willing to to let some of that go. Yeah. Um, but also do a lot with pacing, and and one of the cool things about running an actual play uh, tabletop is it is still uh, first and foremost this is this is my tabletop game i'm i'm playing to enjoy the game with my friends but there's certain things about recording it that let you let you kind of add another layer to the game um so for example uh, we often uh record scenes outside of our main session time and then i'll add them into the episode uh and that lets me kind of deep dive on individual character focus uh, in a way that everyone around the table can still get the insight into what their character is doing, but um, it doesn't take time away from the table of group uh, group focus scenes. And uh, the other kind of neat thing that it lets me do is I don't have to take notes during a session anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I take my session notes when I edit the edit the episodes together, and that that lets me pick up on a lot of subtle things that I. I probably would have missed because they were throwaway lines or uh, just kind of poignant character moments that I can then come back to in a way that I couldn't when I was running without the recording. Are you noticing any significant difference between your interaction with your players um, using strictly web-based tools um, to like sitting at a table with your friends pre-COVID um, because before COVID I did do some like discord based gaming, but I've always preferred sitting at a table. Um, but now with like zoom and, you know, this being pretty, you know, real time, like our interaction, I think is pretty consistent with what it would be in person. Um, I'm noticing some of those difficulties kind of dissipate. Uh, have you had any kind of similar experience to that? So I was gaming online before uh, the pandemic started. Uh, my my group is geographically distributed. Um, and after my last move, uh, when I moved back into a time zone where I could game with the people that I, I used to game with in, in back in the day, if you will, um, I, I put that group back together as an online group um, because it's just the people that I love gaming with. And there's certainly... Like it's awesome when we can get together at the table and play in one space. Um, but I I was uh, kind of I guess ahead of the curve on the online gaming piece. Um, it didn't change uh, change our play terribly much, except that now this is our only game. So most <laughs> right. of us also had uh, other games that were like like uh, that were in person, and uh, I don't. So I don't think it's changed. Uh, much from that perspective, but it's made the game time that we do have more important because it's, it's the only social time and the right. only game time that we have now. Yeah. We, we had uh, the the group that I, I gamed with for a very long time. We always had one friend that was essentially just a television because, you know, he's always lived very far away. Um, but my big issue with early, like kind of online gaming was, 
you know, he mostly at that time, anyways, he was mostly just working off of voice and like, I'm, I'm very receptive to, to face, you know, to facial expressions and doing it without video is kind of hard, but, um, you know, since COVID that, that whole system has kind of gotten significantly better. Um, so yeah, now, now I'm kind of like, I, it's going to be weird, I think, to go back <laughs> and having people at a table because it's been, you know, 16 months probably since I've had people at a table. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's a weird, um, weird change. And then it's weird to think of like going back to, to the old days. Um, as far as like, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of like Onyx path slash white wolf style games. What are some, um, you know, either non white wolf origin games or non onyx path origin games that you enjoy playing. And, um, are there any, I, and I like to do this just to kind of like talk a little smack, but are there any games, new additions maybe that you haven't been fond of, or, you know, I'm not, I'm not referring to any specifically just curious. Like, are there any games where you're like, oh, I wish that would have been better. <laughs> um, so I, I, I guess I'm, I'm more of a celebrant when I talk about games. So I usually mm-hmm. talk about what I like more than what I don't like. Uh, I'll be critical within the space of what I yeah. like. Um, but I, I do, I find that I just don't want to dwell on the things that I don't like. Right. Um, I guess if there was one, uh, one thing that I was disappointed by, it would be uh, Shadowrun Sixth Edition. And <laughs> What's funny is that's exactly what I was referencing, <laughs> and uh, I'm still playing it every week. So, and uh, and for me, I like I never I haven't I haven't read the book. I like flipped through it right when it came out uh, and didn't get any further because my it's it it is my local in person group that that plays Shadowrun, and we had a, a long running ish Shadowrun Fifth Edition game. And Shadowrun Sixth Edition coming out uh, kind of just killed interest in Shadowrun for the the main people running the game. Um, so we haven't gotten back to that between between Sixth Edition coming out and kind of being a buzzkill yeah, and, and the pandemic. Um, so I, I can't I, I can't be specific in my criticism other than I miss my Shadowrun game. <laughs> um, but uh, and then I guess the the other thing is. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I would complain about. Um, I was never a fan of, of uh, D&D 3rd Edition or Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, I've, as I have experienced more games and played more games, I just, I, I, don't, I don't enjoy um, classic D20-derived uh, games. Uh, I think 5th Edition is a pretty good incarnation of it, but I'd like I'd rather play almost anything else. Um, <laughs> In terms of some other games that are that are not Onyx Path, uh, White Wolf derived that I enjoy, let me give you three. Um, so I'm playing in a monthly Invisible Sun game. Uh, Invisible Sun is Monty Cook games, surreal. Everybody is a wizard game, mm-hmm. um, where you play uh, you play uh, Vizle, who are uh, this universe's wizards. And it's kind of a game of exploration and personal discovery. Uh, It's got a little bit of that uh, planescape effect of traveling between the different worlds, Uh, but it it has this very surreal element to it. And so that game has been a ton of fun. Um, 
and it it comes in a a giant unmarked black cube of a box um <laughs> so it, it's like a a uh, it's like an 18 inch black cube and like it unfolds and it has the book stacked inside it and tokens and player handouts and everything okay. so it's just it's kind of just a neat physical element um and that's been a lot of fun to play uh i just this week tried wander home uh which is a a uh, no dice, no masters derived PBTA game, meaning there's no dice rolling at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's all narrative, uh, and it it's designed to be played uh, GMless uh, or not, so it can go either way. But you are playing uh, like animal people mm-hmm. in a pastoral uh, land, uh, pastoral kingdom almost that that has that's full of myth and magic. And it's about your your experience and your journey against the, the backdrop of this um, world that is both mundane and magical at the same time, because you are focused, like you are animal people focused on your mundane things. Like mm-hmm. the character class I was playing was uh, the moth tender, and my job was was to deliver the post because um, they use moths to deliver the mail, uh, <laughs> and and so. Like I had packages that I needed to deliver, but we were traveling through this like magical glade full of uh, fireflies who could tell the future. And there was, a, I had one of the packages I had to deliver was to the ancient forest God hidden in the, the forest. Um, and it, it uh, left all of us uh, after we did the character creation and started our, our story together. Uh, just everyone was grinning because uh, it had that kind of magical, almost like red wall esque feel to it where mm-hmm. like, uh, you've got these anthropomorphic animals, but it, it just somehow uh, ends up being even more than the sum of its parts. Um, so that that would be two. And then three uh, would be the new, I am still a fan of Star Wars and I absolutely love Fantasy Flight's Star Wars role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have uh, run it a ton. I, I've played it a little bit. And kind of the neat thing that that game does is the narrative dice system where uh, they have their own custom dice, but instead of rolling against a target number or adding anything up, there are symbols on the dice right. and you add kind of skill dice and challenge dice to every roll, and then they cancel each other out, but it lets you have multiple axes of success and failure. So uh, successes and failures cancel each other. So you can have a net success or a net failure at the end. But then there's also symbols that represent advantage or threat. So you can succeed with something going wrong or you can fail, but there's a silver lining. And the dice kind of inform how that plays out in the scene. Um, and then there's also, a, of course, a critical success and critical fail symbol on the dice as well. Yeah. Uh, so you've got these three axes of like, how did this role go for you? Um, because you can have something like, oh, well, you failed, but there's a silver lining. And also there's something amazing because you rolled this critical success symbol. So like, how do you, how do you let that play out? And it Mm -hmm. creates a very kind of narrative cinematic feel in a game that is still quite crunchy because of the way that you get to manipulate the dice. That's interesting. I've, I've actually not played the fantasy flight star Wars. I've played, um, I played the six, uh, six sider, the six, uh, D six version. And I'm actually shockingly enough playing in a star Wars game right now that works off of the old D 20 system, um, which 
is <laughs> it's interesting to say the least um because it's like a lot of the other d20 games where you're like you know having to pick feats and all these different powers and da, 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 da. and yeah so it's it's interesting it's like going back in time almost yeah um cuz it's a, it's a bit uh um yeah i I haven't played a three or 3.5 edition game in a long time. And, uh, you know, this is the system my buddy wants to run, so I'm going to play in it. But, um, yeah, it's, oh, here's five other books that you can go through. It's and, exhausting, man. Yeah, yeah, it certainly <laughs> can be. Um, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm of the same, uh, uh, opinion that the newest version, um, the fifth edition dungeons and dragons and, you know, that system is, uh, a lot easier to use and it's a lot easier to learn. Um, so I, I prefer that one. I don't, I don't like the more crunchy, um, game systems. Uh, I'm, I don't have a head for figures and facts. And, you know, when you start playing 10 different games, it's very hard to keep everything together. So, for sure. Uh, so I find that I don't mind crunch. I mind gotcha mechanics in a level up sense that the thing that makes it really hard for me with something like uh, Pathfinder or D&D mm-hmm. 3.5 or, or the D20 Star Wars games is that mm-hmm. you are limited in how many times you can add something to your character based on when you level up. And then it is potentially a long time again before you can add something else. Yeah. So a game like Exalted or like Invisible Sun like has a lot of crunch, a ton of options, but it's okay if you make a misstep because you can spend a couple experience points on something like in a a world of darkness sense and say, maybe you never roll that skill that that hasn't blocked your ability to uh, learn in other ways. And that's, that's the thing that really gets to me about, about D 20 games in particular. Yeah. And um, to kind of piggyback off of that, that's a big part of the reason why, I kind of stopped playing games like that, you know, in the early two thousands, because, you know, I do come from a more story based character creation and and character progression where it's like, Oh, I'm going to go learn a thing. And then now I know a thing and that's fine. Whereas I would sit down and play with my D and D friends and they'd be like, what are you a moron? You didn't pick this. Cause if you didn't pick this and you can't get this and you don't get this, that, and the other. And I was like, well, I don't really care. Uh, about that, you know, and, and it got to the point where they would be like, look, if you don't do this, by the time you get to level 10, you're just not going to be able to compete. And I'm like, Oh, I thought we were playing a role-playing game. Like I didn't realize, you know, so yeah, I definitely sheets the optimization. Right. Exactly. So, you know, that's, that's just not really how I think, um, you know, in context of like making a character, like I've got to follow this sort of preordained set of restrictions or requirements. That's just not how I do things. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can get behind that. It is definitely exhausting. And just a quick story about that. Um, I, I was making a character and I was like, Oh, you know, what would be really cool if like, I just, cause the, the, the GM was like, uh, you're going to make a level 10 character. So I was like, Oh, I'll make a character that's like solely based off of armor and like i'll just be like the most armored star wars guy ever and you know he gave us all a stipend of money and it was kind of like based on level and i i went through and picked all of these these perks and whatever and by the time i got to actually buying the armor 
that I would need to like make this character work within their confines, it was like three times more expensive than I could afford. And I was like, well, well, I guess I'll just have to go back to the drawing board because that's not even viable now. So yeah, it was like, that was kind of exhausting. And I was like, whatever, I don't even care. I'm just going to make a new character and figure it out. Um, so I know you're almost, uh, about, uh, having to go here. Um, so, uh, I would just like to check with you, you know, what's next. What, what are you, is there anything on, uh, in the pipeline that you're contributing to and where can people find you to, um, experience more of, of, you know, what you have to offer. Okay. So let, let me do the rundown. <laughs> yeah. So the big exciting thing coming soon is exalted essence. Um, Exalted is a pretty crunchy game. And so some of the Exalted devs pitched the idea of doing a, a an almost rules light version of Exalted, a streamlined mm-hmm. version. And so that that is coming to Kickstarter in the near future. Um, I was, I'm a contributor on that. I got to write a big chunk of the setting chapter. Um, I'm really excited to see that go out because it's the first thing that I, I have written for that's going to get a Kickstarter. Um, and we talk a lot about Exalted Essence on um, the systematic understanding of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find that at exaltcast.com. Um, and that's that's where we break down everything Exalted. So if, if uh, the idea of awesome stunting and divinely empowered heroes in a wacky fantasy world appeals to you, uh, come over and check out Exaltcast. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, I'm at StoryToldChaz. I, I mostly just tweet the, the podcast and role-playing stuff that I'm involved in um, and occasionally retweet more interesting people than myself. Um, but you can come in and see what I'm doing uh, there. Uh, you can find my uh, older podcast work on the Story Told podcast, um, where I was a co-host for like a year and a half. Uh, and still host our actual play content. I run a uh, Exalted Third Edition Dragon Blooded actual play on that called The Fall of Giara. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a three act story, and we are just at the beginning of Act Three, and the end is in sight, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, but you can check that out and and uh, make your way through it. Uh, someone's joined our Discord recently and is listening through the backlog of episodes and almost like live tweeting on our discord <laughs> as he goes through the episode. So it's kind of interesting to, to revisit the story from that uh, totally fresh perspective. Um, that's been a lot of fun. Um, I have published some stuff on the storytellers vault and story mm-hmm. path nexus, uh, a couple of bits for exalted Um if, if you want to check out that, uh, I'm, I can give Nate links. I, yeah. I don't know how many show links you do, but, uh, uh yeah, I'll, I'll do anything that's pertinent. Okay. Well, I've got a couple of, <laughs> uh, a couple of things for exalted. I've got some scion stuff. I've got some Trinity stuff. Um, so I'll, I'll give you, give you guys a, a pointer there. One of the, one of the pain points people recognize with scion is that the character creation is a little bit confusing because it's spread out between two books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did, and there's no quick reference. Um, the, you remember a lot of the old world of darkness games have like a one or two page quick reference of this yeah. is the whole character creation. Scion didn't have that out of the gate. Um, and I complained about it not being there. And then I said, you know what? I'm good at writing. I'll write this. <laughs> and so I, I wrote uh, both a free version and an expanded version um, that are available on the StoryPath Nexus. So I'll have those links as well. Um, in terms of other things that I'm writing for, uh, I'm writing for 
uh, The Hedge, and uh, which is a Changeling the Lost book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I can't remember the name of the book. Uh, the Tome of the Pentacle which is a a Mage the Awakening book. Uh, So both Chronicles of Darkness games. And and those are a while before they're going to be out in the world and I can't talk about what I'm writing for them. But keep an eye out on those. If you follow the Onyx path, you'll see them progress slowly through the Monday meeting notes. Absolutely. And if you'd like, I'd love to have you back to talk about them when they're available or or when you can talk about them. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, no, I'd love to come back. I'd love to come back and talk about uh, Exalted Essence more as well, uh, especially as that becomes public. So absolutely, uh, or just to come and chat about games because, like, I-, I started a gaming podcast because I like talking about <laughs> games. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd love to have you back. Um, as you know, um, I'll be uh, as you know, I'm in the process of kind of packing things up and moving on to the next location physically. Um, so as soon as that's done, I'd love to get back in touch with you and have you on again. Sounds good. I'm I'm sure we can set something up and and I'm sure we'll have more to talk about. Thank you for coming on the show. And it's been a pleasure. Uh, Lovely talking to you. Thank you for listening to the 2D10 podcast. If you enjoyed it, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash 2D10. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for 2D10. You can also support this show and all of Utility Muffin Labs by backing me on patreon.com slash 2D10. Go to utilitymuffinlabs.com for more podcasts, artwork, and gaming fun. Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate. <laughs>